I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do matter. In all seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to a recording of journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A from our 2023 Making the Case conference. It's available in both video and audio formats for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. The countries that protect religious freedom are those who provide the best treatment to minorities and the most vulnerable among us. God never says anything about you being happy. That's not the goal of life. And that's shocking, frankly, to a lot of people, even a lot of Christians. They're shocked to hear that God doesn't care if they're happy because they're convinced that's the whole goal of life, isn't it? The resurrection of Christ means that the roof has been blown off and the heavens are not made of brass. God became man, and this man brings not merely life over death, but he brings abundant life in the here and now. The gift of private confession and absolution, that is specifically there for those kind of moments where You are feeling the power of your sin, and it's really bugging you. The youth of Holy Cross Lutheran Church, Carlisle, Iowa, love listening to Issues Etc. on their way to higher things. The Word of God is not rightly divided when sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law are directed, not to the Word and sacraments, but to their own prayers and wrestlings with God in order that they may win their way to a state of grace. In other words, when they are told to keep on praying and struggling until they feel that God has received them into grace. That's the ninth thesis in Walther's distinction between law and gospel. So why does he introduce that by talking about the real differences between Lutheran and Reformed theology? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, July the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We are continuing our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Then in hour two of Issues Etc., we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The gospel reading has Jesus talking about a pearl and a field and a fishnet and a scribe that has things that are old and new. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. So why does Walther begin what at first seems a very odd place? And that is just kind of launching into the real differences between Lutheran and Reformed theology. Yeah, well, actually, he really starts, right, with with trying to say that for a lot of unthinking Lutherans, th- there really aren't a lot of differences or that the differences are very external. He starts out with this, well, you know, the, the real difference is that the Lutherans, when they pray the Our Father, they say, Vater unser. And when the Reforms say, they say, unser Vater. So that's, how, that's where you find it. Or that Lutherans use wafers 
for communion. And the Reformed use real bread, which they break, and Lutherans don't break the wafers. So those little external things were not the big differences. And he says, you know, thanks be to God today. Everybody knows that these differences are big, and he's going to go through and list uh, several of them out. But he lists them out as a prelude to this thesis because he wants to show that also in the way that the gospel is proclaimed from the pulpits of Lutheran churches versus the pulpits of Reformed churches, there is a huge difference here. And he believes, and he's going to show, that the Reformed, by their particular practice, actually end up confounding law and gospel by turning terrified sinners back to their own deeds rather than to the sure and certain deeds which God himself does in the means of grace. So that's sort of the the setup that he has there. I think it would be worthwhile to actually run through what he actually lists as the differences. I mean, if, if you were to talk to your average Lutheran today, could they stand up and say, well, this is the difference between us and the Reformed? Well, first of all, let's talk about who the Reformed are, because that's a big term. And Walter and Lutherans in general use it in a peculiar way that most other Christians don't. By the Reformed, we tend to mean all of the classical Protestant churches, which are not Lutheran. (laughs) So they can be quite disparate among themselves. The Methodists fall into this. You'll see he'll specifically mention the Methodist as he's working through this. Certainly the church that we call the Reformed Church in the United States falls into that. The Presbyterians. And to uh, a certain extent, the, uh, the low church Episcopalians fall into this same sort of category. That's all what he would call the Reformed Church. And uh, that's very different from the Church of the Lutheran Confessions. So he starts out with the Eucharist, which became the most obvious difference between the two churches. What do Lutherans say? We say what Jesus said about the bread and wine and the supper. This is my body. This is my blood. We will not allow that to be minimized by being made a symbol or a sign or a token of something. No, Jesus said what he meant, and he meant what he said, and he even told us which body and blood it was, the body and the blood that were given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sin. So there's a difference between the Lutherans and the Reformed. In the 20th century, there was a real attempt to try to bridge that gap, And it was just papering over the difference, finally, in the long run. When the Lutherans and the Reformed come to agreement on the Lord's Supper, what always happens is that agreement is basically a concession that the Reformed were right and the Lutherans were wrong. (laughs) That's not the way that Lutherans, you know, real Lutherans can take this. We have to say, nope, Jesus said what he meant. He meant what he said. When he gives me that bread in the supper, he is giving me his body that was given on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. When he pours his blood from that chalice down my throat, that is the blood that fell from the cross and blotted out the sin of the entire world, and it's coming into my body now. It is Jesus himself who gives us his body and blood. He then moves on to the next area of disagreement, which was baptism, where for a Lutheran, Baptism is not some sort of a symbol or a representation of rebirth and regeneration. It actually is the means by which God works the regeneration. It is a washing of regeneration affected, Walter says, on high by the Holy Spirit. So the the power of baptism is not symbolizing anything. 
the power of baptism is in the Holy Spirit joining the word to the water and delivering in that word and water the very promises of the covenant of God in Christ, the blood of Christ having won for us an entire forgiveness, dying and rising with Christ, and then living a new life with him. Then he moves on to the area that really sort of blew up out from the disagreement in the 16th century on the Eucharist. We found out we had a a difference in Christology. Um, You might remember when we did the formula of Concord. We worked our way through a lot of that. For a Lutheran, the human nature in Christ through its union with the divine nature receives divine attributes. And so the difference between Christ and the saints is not one of decree. It's that Christ has a human nature that is personally united to his divine nature. None of us have that. So that's another area. And then finally, he lists out the area of universal grace. And I love how he sort of deals with it trinitarianly. He says, the saving grace of the Father is universal. The redemption of the Son is universal. And the effective calling of God the Holy Spirit through the Word is universal. And all of this is opposed to the Reformed notion that uh, of a limited atonement and that, that God has then, in effect, created the vast mass of the human race for, for damnation. That's a very horrible doctrine, which Lutherans just simply say, you cannot reconcile that with the Word of God. It's just not possible. And he says, so you can see, folks, these are fundamental These are fundamental differences that center in the very gospel itself. And reading the thesis today reminded me of an article that I read yesterday from President Harrison in The Latest Reporter. And I just want to share a couple of paragraphs of that because he just, he gets at exactly what Walter is getting at here. He says, this the doctrine of justification on which the church stands or falls is what it means to be Lutheran. Everything else flows from it. Original sin and the preaching of the law, apart from Christ, all of us are lost and condemned persons, are about justification because we know that God justifies sinners. We aren't afraid of man's sinful condition, nor do our sins terrify and oppress us. God reckons us righteous by grace for Christ's sake. Baptism, even infant baptism, is about justification because the font is one of the places God does his justifying work, apart from any participation of our own. The office of the keys is about justification because the pastor's absolving words are God's justifying work. The Lord's Supper is about justification because God gathers his saints around his altar to feed them with the price paid for their justification, the very body and blood of Christ. Even the authority of the Bible is tied to justification. Jesus says the Bible testifies about him and those who believe in Jesus listen to him. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So if you think about that very lively sense of the sacraments being God's act justifying us, then you begin to understand why the problem is pointed out in the thesis that you don't direct people to the means of grace. Instead, you direct them to something they do, to their own works and wrestling until they begin to feel that they've reached a state of grace. And to show how off base that is, Walther romps his way through three different scripture passages. One of those passages, and just kind of briefly walk us through them, then on the other side of the break, we will get to them in more detail. Okay, well, the first passage he's going to look at is Acts 2, 
and Peter's famous Pentecost sermon, and then he's going to turn to Acts 16 and look at the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And then finally, and I think maybe even most interestingly, he turns to his own story, Paul's own story in Acts 22 and rehearses what happened to him and how God grabbed him and took him into his kingdom. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part 10 of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We will go through each of those verses in detail on the other side of the break. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Solid, serious, substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Trinity Lutheran Church, LCMS of Tryon, North Carolina, also serves the South Carolina Upstate. We uphold the confessional standard of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. We follow the apostolic practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day using a biblical historic liturgy. Our small parish is teeming with little ones along with many of retirement age. Several Issues Etc. listeners have been welcomed into Christ's fold here from outside Lutheranism. We invite any unchurched in the area to join us at 1015 each Sunday. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, I think the first scripture that you mentioned, Walter, wanted to use as an example was Acts 2. Yeah, the famous Pentecost sermon of St. Peter. And remember, they had 
the, the people, after they viewed the miracle, some of them began to say, ah, they're just plastered. And Peter has to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We are not plastered. It's just nine in the morning. Come on, guys. This is what the prophet Joel had declared. And then he quotes from Joel about God pouring out his spirit. And then he comes to the really hard words of law that he needs to speak to them. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then he goes on, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David has both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. David didn't ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all this house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Okay, that's just a little bit of preaching of law right there, right? Oh, God was faithful to the promise. He sent you the Messiah. And what did you do when you got your hands on him? You denied him. You killed him. And you did this in the face of irrefutable evidence that he gave by signs and wonders that he was truly the son of God. So when the brothers hear this, look at their response. They are cut to the heart. And they say to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what should we do? This is the mark of a person who has been crushed. They're like, oh my goodness, we've just killed our promised Messiah. Tell us, what, 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 what is there a way to remedy this? What do we need to do? And Peter gives them this amazing answer, beginning at verse 38. He says, repent, which Walter glosses with, change your minds. In other words, change your minds about Jesus. That's the first thing. Change your mind about Jesus. And, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, including your sin, by the way, of crucifying the Son of God. Do this, he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds so beautifully, the promise is for you and for your kids, and it's for all who are far off, as many 
as the Lord our God is going to call to himself. So he kept on exhorting them, save yourself from this wicked generation. And we're told there in Acts 2 that 3,000 people that day received his word, got down into the water, were baptized in the name of Jesus, and were added to the church. So do you see the move that Peter made? After preaching the law to them, did he direct an alarmed sinner? Well, yeah, you better show that you really are sorry for what you did to the Son of God. Let me see some evidence of it in your life. Is that what he did? No. He just says, go receive baptism. That's what you need. Get down in the water with Jesus. Repent. Change your mind about him. Realize he's the Savior that God sent. And get in the water with him and receive from him his forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful passage. He also draws upon Acts 16, where we have the apostles' conversation with the jailer at Philippi. Yeah, and that's that's a passage that's uh, it's one of my favorites, too. I mean, you got to love the jailhouse rock story. So remember what it sort of set the whole thing up was that Paul exercised a, a slave girl who belonged to some men who they got a lot of money using the, the poor girl to fortune tell for them. And, well, she was going around behind Paul and Barnabas being loud and obnoxious and proclaiming, hey, guys, these people are servants of the Most High God, and they're going to tell you the way of salvation. And, and Paul put up with it and put up with it for, you know, multiple days, but finally he couldn't take it anymore. And being greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And guess what? It came out of her that very hour. But then, then her owners realized, oh no, our hope of money is now gone from this girl. And so they grab Silas and Paul. They haul them into the marketplace before the rulers. And they say, look, these men are Jews. And they're disturbing our city. And they're advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to keep. Remember, Philippi was the capital of a Roman colony. So, you know, they, they were able to pride themselves on being like Rome. And the crowd joins in. They're all attacking them. The magistrates tear their clothes off them and give orders to beat them with rods, which they do. And after they'd been beaten many times, they are thrown into prison, and the jailer is specifically ordered to keep them safely. So he's not taking any chances. He sticks them down in the dungeon, in the inner part of the prison, and he locks up their feet in stocks. And what happens while they're there? Well, you know, it's near midnight, and so Paul and Silas begin singing matins. They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners are all listening to them. Maybe someone was shouting, Would you guys be quiet? <laughs> you know, who knows? Or maybe they were just in wonder at hearing the, the men pray and chant like that. And in the middle of their sort of uh, improvised worship service there, there's this great earthquake. Foundations of the whole house are shaken. And it's more than an earthquake. This is God's action. Suddenly, all of the prisoners, all of them, have their bonds released, every last one. And when the jailer 
realizes that the doors are open and that the prisoners are loose, he's ready to commit suicide because that would be a lot better than what would happen if the Romans got hold of him and found that he had been negligent in taking care of his charge, even though it wasn't his fault. But Paul, again, we assume by some special revelation of the Holy Spirit, immediately cries out. You know, he, he can't see the man take his sword. He's, on, he's in the inner prison. But he, he, he knows, and he says, don't harm yourself. We're, we're all here. And it's this word, this simple word, that we're all here, that brings the man with a light trembling into the, the, the cell where Paul and Silas were being kept. And he, he falls down in front of them and, and, and begs them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, same question that, that, that you have with Peter, right? Sort of, same sort of thing. What are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about this? And Paul's answer to him is so, so beautiful. They say, Paul and Silas, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he, the jailer, was washing their wounds. And then it says he was baptized at once. So I think that kind of implies maybe with the bloody water from the wounds off their back. He is baptized and his whole family. He brings them up into his home and he gives them something to eat and he rejoices. He rejoices with his whole house that, that he's believed in God. You know, and Walter makes the interesting point there. He says, you know, he didn't do a long catechumenate on the guy. He didn't say, well, we need to get a pastor's class together to help you know what you need to believe. He just, he laid out the gospel to him. And after he heard it, I suppose Paul said something like, so you want to get baptized? <laughs> the guy was like, yeah. <laughs> and then that moment he was baptized. It's a beautiful way that you see the, the action of God in the sacrament as the answer to the sinner's terror and trembling. It's like, okay, what do I do to make this right? And it's like, well, you don't make this right, but God has a way to make this right. And that's what he does in the water. He will justify you in the water. He will declare you not guilty of your sins and declare you righteous and innocent with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself when you get down with him in that water. So the, the, the man just can't resist getting into the water. By the way, uh, since it's in the middle of the night and in his house, I'm assuming, or actually in the first place, I think it happened in the dungeon before they go up to the house. So this is a good proof text against the idea of you have to immerse to have a baptism. I think probably in the middle of the night in a jail somewhere, they didn't have the ability to immerse somebody. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are talking about the proper distinction between law and gospel. C.F.W. Walther has one more scriptural example. It's the conversion of St. Paul himself in Acts chapter 22, next. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern, 7.30 Mountain, and 6.30 Pacific. 
at issuesetc.org. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran, Hayden, Idaho. Faith Lutheran, Groton, Connecticut. Holy Cross Lutheran, Rockland, California. Emmanuel Lutheran, Sheridan, Wyoming, Mount Olive Lutheran, Billings, Montana, Pella Lutheran, Wappen, Wisconsin, Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran, Rathdrum, Idaho, St. Michael Lutheran, Portage, Michigan, St. Peter Lutheran, Dorchester, Wisconsin, and University Hills Lutheran, Denver, Colorado. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking... The proper distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. Will, you've written a column for the latest issues, etc., a journal called Sola Fide by Faith Alone. Tell us a little about it. The, the accusation is frequently made that Luther, by inserting the little word alone into Romans 3.28, actually falsified what Scripture is saying because that was thought to be, number one, in contradiction to what James himself says in, in his, uh, his letter. So we see that a man is not justified by faith alone. And then we also have the question of, was it an innovation in the church's practice and teaching of Scripture? And I kind of start with the innovation in the church's practice, run through a number of citations from the church fathers that show them all using the very formula that Luther used I still don't know why Luther didn't bother just saying, so why are, why are you yelling at me for this? Just go talk to Chrysostom or talk to Basil about it. Then 
the, the question of how to understand the way to reconcile what Paul is saying in this verse, which can properly include the word alone as implied, and what James says in, in his epistle. And finally, I bring in what I think is the, the most interesting uh, citation in the, the, the article from none other than Benedict, who basically says, so Luther was really right about justification by faith alone, provided you don't let that faith come unglued from love. And uh, Luther himself, of course, is very clear that the faith he's speaking of is a faith that shows itself in deeds of love. Find out more about the free Issues Etc. journal and read Pastor Whedon's article, Sola Fide, by Faith Alone, in addition to Wittenberg Trail Feature by Dr. Donna Harrison, Christ Our First Love, by going to our website, issuesetc.org. On the right-hand side of the page, you'll find a red subscription button. Click on that and enter your email address. We will send you the online Issues Etc. journal absolutely free. So, Will, one other example that Walther draws upon to make the point of his thesis today is the self-telling account of the Apostle Paul's conversion in Acts 22. Yeah, he he's, remember the, the circumstances. He'd been in the temple trying to finish up paying for a vow that he and several of the others there had, had taken. And so he's still, in other words, living very much in Jewish piety. But suddenly, some people from Asia, understand like from Ephesus, they, they see him there and they immediately grab hold of him and begin shouting that, that, look, this is the man who teaches everywhere around the world against this place and against the customs which have been handed down to us by Moses. And he's even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled it. They were convinced that Trophimus, who was a friend of his and was with him in the city, had, had been brought into the temple. None of that's true. And yet it causes quite a stir. It looks like Paul's not going to get out of the crowd alive, but the Romans come down and actually rescue him. They have to carry him on their shoulders to get him out because the the, the violence of the crowd is so strong against him. And he is uh, on the stairs when he asks if he can address the crowd. And the, the Romans give him permission. I guess they were figuring, can't hurt. If you can get him quiet, that would be worthwhile. So he turns and begins speaking in Hebrew. And because he's speaking in Hebrew, there's like instant silence. And they're going to give him a, an audience to what, what he has to say to them. And he begins with his own bona fides. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia. I was brought up in this city and educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, a zealous for God, just like all of you guys are to this day. I persecute it this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness, from whom I receive letters to the brothers, and I went to Damascus to take those who were there and bring them bound to Jerusalem to be punished as in other words, probably to be both jailed for a time and then put to death. And he says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, this huge light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell on the ground. And I heard this voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I fell to the ground, and he said, I asked, who, who, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, 
whom you are persecuting. Now, he says, those who are with me, they saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I wonder if he was speaking to Paul in, in Hebrew. And I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. So you learn so much about Paul there. Who are you? I'm the Lord Jesus whom you're persecuting. Okay, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, just go and wait. So he is sent into Damascus and told to wait, and he will be told what he is to do. And because he was blinded by the great light, the men that were with him took him by the hand and had to lead him into the city. Once he was there, a fellow named Ananias, devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews, he came to him and he said to him, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that would be Jesus risen from the dead, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's just such a beautiful invitation there at the end. So, I mean, have you noticed how in each one of these things, they, they didn't have an altar call? At each one of these things, at each of these sermons at the end, they had a, a water call. They were called to the waters of baptism where they would receive full and free pardon and remission of their sins. They weren't directed to their own workings and strivings. They were directed to the place where the finished work of Christ was made present and available for them in order to justify them. Then he, he asks a rhetorical question, which he proceeds to answer for some pages. <laughs> what now is the method of the sex? What is he talking about there? Yeah, when he is lambasting the Reformed, that's the same thing as when he says the sects, he means that what they do is never to say to a person who is alarmed over their sin, well, go make confession to your pastor and hear the absolution from his mouth. They never say, go and receive the body and blood of Christ that took away the sin of the world for you. They never say, go and receive the gift of holy baptism or remember the covenant God made with you at your baptism. If you are faithless, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. And because they don't do this, they have a tendency, even in their preaching then, where we would make the transition in our preaching to encouraging people to make faithful use of the sacraments as seals and promises of the forgiveness of sin. That's the point at which they proclaim instead a little bit more struggle for the people. He says when it comes to the first part of the preaching, you know, the preaching of the law, he says, yeah, the Reformed are fine with that. They, they do, they do like, like we do on that. With the exception, he says, that they love to dwell on, this certainly not the case, I don't think nowadays, but it was back in the 19th century, that they love to dwell on the torture and torments that await. You might think about Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, you know, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which moved people to just cries and tears of despair as they heard him preach. 
So he says, you know, that that goes overboard. But he says, if you do not lead a man by the law to the point where he puts off completely the garment of his own righteousness and declares himself a miserable, wicked man whose heart is sinning day by day with his evil lusts, thoughts, desires, and dispositions and wishes of all kinds, he says, you haven't really preached the law right. You've got to preach the law in such a way that a person realizes, I can't fix this. It's not like I need some help here. I don't need help. I can't fix this. I have no ability to fix it. But he says the incorrect preaching of the law that he's excoriating there, he says, that's that's not the worst of the problems with this sex. It's that they don't preach the gospel when the people are then alarmed because of their sins. Because part of the gospel, well, let me tell it to you this way. I had a friend who invited our dear friend, uh, Dr. Norman Nagel, down to do a seminar at his church in North Carolina. And uh, right before the service, he said, Dr. Nagel, he, he was not used to Dr. Nagel's ways. So he found him, you know, with his head in the corner, <laughs> sitting there, at, at, Dr. Nagel, are you, are, are you all right? And what Dr. Nagel said was, yes, yes, just going over the specificity of the locatedness of the gifts, which is a way of saying, <laughs> I'm just making sure that in my sermon, I was directing people not to their own efforts, but to the specific places where the grace of God is available for them in Christ Jesus. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're walking through CFW Walther's proper distinction between law and gospel. On the other side, Walther identifies, after identifying the false practice, three false beliefs that come from that practice. So that whole Old Testament, then even the New Testament, can be seen as like, where is this promised child? Dr. Adam Philippic, author of The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for July, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. Who's going to crush the head of the serpent and give us back the very presence of God, that land that we dwelt with God in, no sorrow, no suffering, no sin, no death, but in his presence permanently. Learn more about life in Christ at issuesetc.org. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process Put the Word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. lcms.org slash stewardship. Prayer. Meditation. The Assaults of Satan. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com.
Are you attending the LCMS National Convention? Ad Crusen will be exhibiting, and we've made some wonderful products for you to see in person before you buy. They'll be our delightful chancel culture products, crucifixes, jewellery, posters, Christmonds, wooden plaques, artwork, and much more. Be sure to visit us at booth 222. Visit adcrucem.com or booth 222 at the LCMS National Convention. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part 10 of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. So, Will, he goes through the, the false practice, which is to heap upon the repentant sinner more introspection, more efforts, more prayers. And he says this is an error in practice, but it yields three other errors in belief. And it begins with they present God as a God that is so difficult to deal with and must be softened up by, uh, as you say, passionate cries and bitter tears. Yeah, and he says, in fact, what they're really not believing there is that uh, Jesus Christ really has done it all. (laughs) What what Christ offered to his Father is the, the, the sacrifice that pleases his Father for the entire race. In Christ, Walter says, he loves all sinners without exception. The sins of every sinner are canceled. God doesn't do things by halves. Every debt has been liquidated. There is no longer anything that a poor sinner has to fear when he approaches the heavenly father with whom he's been reconciled by Christ. So instead of that, he says the way that the Reformed actually teach on it is that they proclaim a God who's willing to save men as you just need to do your part to be reconciled to him. In contrast to that, he turns to 2 Corinthians and says, look, one died for all. All are dead. You, there's nothing you need to do to make God be reconciled to you. You need to be reconciled to him. It's not him who needs to be reconciled to you. That was finished on the cross. But then he turns to a second thing. He says, the sects teach false doctrine concerning the gospel. They regard it as nothing else than an instruction for man, teaching him what he must do to secure the grace of God. While in reality, the gospel is God's proclamation to men, you're redeemed from your sins. You're reconciled to God. Your sins are forgiven. And he says, you're not going to hear a sectarian preacher make such a bold statement in their sermons. You're not going to find it. In any of them, he says, well, if you do find it in Spurgeon, he gives that as an example. He goes, it's a Lutheran element in his teaching. (laughs) And that's true. Every once in a while, you'll see it in a decent preacher where they'll proclaim that. It is exactly the way Pope St. Leo the Great preached at Christmas time. You know, (laughs) there's not a single person here today who has a reason to be sad. Not one. Because the Son of God came to do what he did for the entire race. You are all included in it. And then the third thing that he pulls out, he says, the sex teach false doctrine concerning faith, because they're regarding a faith as some sort of a quality in man by which he is improved. And for that reason, they consider faith such an extraordinarily important salutary matter. And he's like, now look, we know that the person who believes is, of course, improved. There's no question on that. 
But that's not what makes faith great, that it improves you. What makes faith great is that it grabs hold of the finished work of Jesus Christ, holds tight to it, and will not let it be taken away from the heart. He says, that's how you need to conceive of faith. Faith is great, not because of what it does in you, but because of what it is given of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to talk about how we don't have a reputation for being happy people. <laughs> this is why Lutherans are always so happy. Yeah, yeah, I love this. He says, having this doctrine, what exceedingly happy and joyous, blessed people we Lutherans are. The teaching takes us to Christ by a straight route. It opens heaven to us when we feel hell in our hearts. It enables us to obtain grace at any moment without losing time by following a wrong way, striving for grace by our own effort, as we sometimes do with a good intention. He says, we can approach Christ directly and say, and by the way, Todd, I have it in my book, read, reread, and memorize on this next paragraph. Lord Jesus, I'm a poor sinner. I know it. That has been my experience in the past. And when I reflect what's going on in my heart now, I must say that it is still my experience. But thou hast called me by thy gospel. I come to thee just as I am, for I could come no other way. Walter says, that is the saving doctrine which the Evangelical Lutheran Church has learned from Christ and the apostles. And then he kind of wraps up this particular evening lecture with an exhortation to his uh, hearers there, the young men preparing to be pastors. And he says, use this doctrine. Use it to your own advantage. It would be awful if any one of you leave here this evening with the thought in his heart, I don't know whether God is gracious to me or not. I don't know whether he's accepted me as his child. And I don't know if my sins really are forgiven. And if God were to call me tonight to himself, I would not be sure whether I would die saved. He says, God grant none of you retire in that frame of mind, for he would lie down to rest with the wrath of God abiding on him. God's disposition toward us, Walter says, is exactly as we picture it to ourselves. The one who believes God is gracious to him, he certainly has a gracious God. If we dress our heavenly father up as a scarecrow, as a God who's angry with us, well, then we have an angry God and his wrath rests upon us because we didn't believe what he said, right? I mean, that's, that's the point he's making there. However, the God that is angry with us has been removed by our Savior. We now have a God who takes pity on us. So, I mean, it's a beautiful thought. He recognizes well enough that inside of poor sinners, there is such a thing as a conscience that's afflicted and that may really wonder, Am I in God's grace? I mean, do I have the favor and love of my Heavenly Father? I'm just not sure. Walter says, you don't need to be like that. You do not need to go through that agony because you have a certain word from God that he has accepted you. You are baptized into the name of Christ. He has fed into you the body and blood that paid for every sin of yours on the cross. And he has absolved you of all your sins and promised that that is as sure and certain here on earth as it is in heaven. It sounds so well-meaning, that if someone were to come to a pastor and say, I'm in fear of my sins, I am cut to the heart, I'm deeply troubled by my sins, it sounds so pious to say, well, go and pray about this until you find the assurance that you have forgiveness before God. Contrast that with, well, come and confess those sins and be absolved, or come to the Lord's table. Yeah. And while you're doing that, remember that, Long ago, you were baptized. What's the difference there? 
The difference is that in the one, you're going to find peace, and in the other, you're not. If you're just directed back to more struggling and striving, you will never reach the point of having peace. You will continue to be in despair. And it is when this despairing sinner is directed to the means of grace as the sure places where God delivers a completed redemption to him, a justification that doesn't need contribution on his part that is whole and pure and entire, that the sinner has his, his heart is set free or her heart is set free. And they begin to sing with joy to the Lord who has indeed forgiven them all their sins. And why is it, while certainly salutary, not sufficient to simply say, remember that Jesus died for you, apart from a mention of those means of grace? Well, then that sort of still floats free. How do you know Jesus died for you? How do I know he died for me? Well, he gives me his body and blood in the sacrament and tells me this is the body and blood I gave for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That's targeted forgiveness. It's not forgiveness floating free out there as an idea. It's forgiveness that comes to you tangibly bodily. It comes to you where you are, and it gives you everything Christ did, died, and won for you. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the book Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Pastor Sean Denzer will join us, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Repentance and forgiveness, sin and grace, law and gospel, more than cliches, real preaching for real people in need of hearing the real Christ. Christ for you in the divine service at St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, Illinois, where we gather every Saturday night at 6 and on the Lord's Day, Sunday mornings at 7.45 and 10. Look for the Church of the Neon Cross on I-55 between exits 30 and 33. Find us on the web, stpaullutheranchurchhamill.org. St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, where there is the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation for the people of God. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. 
Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical Snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville.